Sunderland sort of has all the raw ingredients to be an amazing creative city. It needs some help sort of galvanising those things together. It's a project that is really kind of driven by a really strong partnership, animating those spaces and just bringing people into historic buildings that would have just been empty until work started in terms of restorations. People are just interested in the exhibition but actually walking into the building and then they're like, like oh, oh, this is actually, I've never been in here, this is quite interesting. So, you know, they're landmark buildings as well that people have like really personal connections to. It's been really successful. We've had people through the building. It's made people see what this space could be used for. And it starts a conversation, which I think is an important one to have with people in the neighborhood, in the city, to sort of like come together and, and make this stuff happen and know that there are places where you can make this stuff happen. Hello and welcome to Arty Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast. Thank you. My name is Jay Sykes and welcome to our party. We are a weekly podcast and radio show sharing the work of artists and creatives living and working in the Northeast. Whether grassroots, emerging or established, everyone is invited. Tonight, in partnership with Sunderland Culture, we are recording in front of a live audience at Mackey's Corner. And again, I would like to thank Sunderland Culture. It is because of your support that this evening is possible. Uh, so for the past year, this building that we're recording in, Mackey's Corner, has been used as a space for artists and creatives to exhibit their work. You might recognise it as the old Sweet Home Alabama building, and soon it will be redeveloped as a commercial property. Our next conversation is not with artists, as with the last episode. It's with people who like with Mackey's Corner, have a connection with the infrastructure and the buildings in this city and the way that they can be used as spaces. So let's introduce today's guests. First, directly to my left, Dr. Luce Veltpose, Senior Research Associate at Newcastle University School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. <laughs> Hello, Luce. Hi. <laughs> Luce, we only met about a week ago yeah, over at literally the a week ago. Pockwex building. Yeah. If you could give us a bit of a bite size as to what you've been doing for the past week at the Poprex space in Sunderland. Yeah. I work at Newcastle University on a European project which is called Open Heritage. And that project has six case studies all over Europe, of which the Poprex buildings on High Street West are one. So that case study and those buildings, we kind of like try to work together with the Tynerware Building Preservation Trust, who owns the buildings, as well as Poprex to develop a program in that building. So it's a temporary use at the moment. We're finding money to, to do the buildings up and to make them open, permanently open which is what the, the Building Preservation Trust is doing. But then from the European project, we are trying to, to program the space and sort of like have events there. So one of the things we are doing is Heritage Open Days, which was all week getting people in for events where we're working with a lot of people like Sarah and Laura, who will be introduced later, having various events, workshops, exhibition, all kinds of things happening in that space to get people in and to, to show the building. And hopefully as Mackey's Corner closes down as a space for arts to be exhibited, there are other places emerging, such as this second Poprex space within the city. So it's great to see it already being used for such wonderful programs. One of those programs is the Rebel Women of Sunderland, which connects you two directly. So the second guest, hello. Hi. <laughs> the second to join us is Laura Brewis, creative producer, artist development and creative industries of Sunderland Culture. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Laura. Hi. I 
probably mention how much gratitude I have to Sunderland culture too much, but it is directly thanks to you that this very series of Arty Party Live celebration programmes is possible. I mean, it's not my own money. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the Arts Council and the National Heritage Lottery Fund. <laughs> and thank you to our, to our friends at the thank National Lottery guys. Heritage Fund. As part of Sunderland culture, your role is helping enable creatives and groups in Sunderland to make the best of themselves and to grow as a city. That is right. One of the things that Sunderland Culture has recognised, and this came through the research that was done into the 2021 bid, was that Sunderland sort of has all the raw ingredients to be an amazing creative city, and it needs some help galvanising those things together. So my work has two main strands. One is around skills development, so helping artists develop their practice in the city, to helping develop the skills of organisations within the city, which already exist in heritage and culture. And then the other strand of work is around space, of which Mackey's Corner is one of them, which is... Just the fact that Sunderland City Centre has lots of space, some are in heritage buildings and some aren't in heritage buildings, and we have lots of creative people who want to use that space and trying to make the process that matches those two things up a bit easier. So Mackey's Corner is the main example, I suppose, of that in the city. Thank you. Let's dive in with our, with our third member. Sarah Carr, manager of the Sunderland Heritage Action Hi. Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so as Jay said, I manage Sunland Heritage Action Zone. I don't know how many people have heard of Sunland Heritage Action Zone. So it's a five-year project. We're in currently in year three, and it's really trying to breathe kind of new life into what were the historic high streets within Sunderland. So primarily looking at High Street West, East, Church Street East, 170s obviously on High Street West, and Mackey's Corner, top end of High Street West. So it's a five-year-long programme, really trying to bring what are kind of listed historic buildings back into use and using them as a kind of a catalyst to kickstart kind of economic regeneration around this end of the city, which is obviously gone into decline over recent years and the retail cores move kind of westwards towards the bridges. So that's essentially what I do. And then obviously it links with the Unlock Strand, where kind of Unlock, which Laura is working on, is really kind of using the buildings within the HAS, the Heritage Action Zone, and, and helping us to kind of animate those buildings and those spaces. Mietek Padovic. So the city of Sunderland has a couple of venues that are fairly well known, others that have been around for a bit. Legacy has closed finally. Not necessarily a good thing, but it's closed We've got the Museum Vaults, which is, I think, a 60 cap, the Independent, which is probably a little bit bigger. There's a bunch of places around here where we could be having a lot more live music, bigger capacities, and I'm wondering if there's any chance that that's going to happen. I mean, obviously, you have business people have to be involved in that as well, but um, we need more music here, just like we need it in another town where also the venues are dying. So I have to say... I'm from the Netherlands. <laughs> I came to this country three years ago and I came to Sunderland six months ago. So I'm not maybe the sort of like best person to know the music scene in Sunderland and all the things that are happening. But yeah, I can definitely see that there are a lot of potential spaces in Sunderland that could be different things. Like it can be music venues, can be creative spaces that can be used, like not just as a temporary thing, but in the long run and, and a, bi a business can be built around it. And I think... Of course, it's partly austerity and money and problems around like how we fund the arts and creative industries and music and all these kind of things. But it's also a sort of confidence that it can be done also in Sunderland. 
And I think there's so many amazing people and so many amazing ideas, and there is an amazing history to this city and the, the industrial part, but many other things as well. So there is all the ingredients, as Laura was saying, but it's now getting people together, the right people together, to make it happen and do it. Because in a way, yeah, you can wait for a commercial developer to come along and, and make it happen. But actually, no, it takes a few people to take a risk. But it's scary to take a risk, and you need to be in a position where you can do this. But it would be amazing if people actually, you know, stood up and do it. The council can help. Sunland Culture can help. We can, you know, whatever we can do to make it possible. But we need a lot of local people to, to be involved, I think, to, to make it happen. And there are a lot of local people involved. So I guess maybe it's also a matter of getting those people together and collaborating. Thank you, Mirtek. As someone who's grown up in Sunderland, I think there's been a sort of like big shift in the music scene. I think when I was younger, you could go to pubs underage, basically, <laughs> and watch bands. They enforce legality much better now than they did when I was younger. So I think what is recognised in the city is there's perhaps not those spaces for emerging artists and smaller bands to come to the city or to sort of grow into in the city. There's really exciting things on the horizon with the fire station auditorium and stuff like that, but that will be bigger capacity crowds, you know, it'll be money-making venture. So I think we do have to address that emerging mid-scale artist, like where do, where do those people go? Is Sunderland a city where, where bands want to come? Independent is amazing, is a great place, but there needs to be more places that nurture that type of artist. And I think pop do a great job uh, in a reasonably small capacity, but I think there is a recognition within the city that more needs to be done to like open up those spaces, whether they're temporary spaces like this. I mean, bands haven't played in here, but potentially there could be places like this where bands do play. There might not be permanent spaces, but you know, six months or whatever. But I think there does need to be more permanent mid-scale sort of solution to, to what happens. I also wonder whether there's enough infrastructure for recording spaces for musicians. I know Laurie, your partner from Field Music, he has a space down in Villiers Street, which is a recording studio, and there's spaces above it. But I don't know of many other places where you can go to to, to really create that work. I mean, I think there's a big gap in the sort of like talent pipeline, if you like, for, for, for want of a better sort of phrase, where do young people go to um, experience music, to try music out, to sort of experiment and songwrite and see if it's a thing they want to do. But then what's the next stage after that? You know, how do you see if that's a career for you? How do you see if that's a thing you want to do on a more professional basis? I think there's a big kind of gap in that talent pipeline in Sunderland. There are spaces, you know, there are recording studios in Sunderland, but lots of people go out of Sunderland to record and they go to Newcastle because there's more commercial spaces. And I think it's a thing that's getting better, but it needs to be sort of addressed perhaps in a more sort of cohesive way. I was just going to add to that. I, I think that needs to be kind of addressed as part of looking at the regeneration of the high streets yeah. because actually it isn't just retail. We kind of know that that isn't going to be the kind of saviour of the high street now. So it is about trying to have that kind of mix of um, yeah. kind of cultural and creative activities as well along the high street. And I think there's some really, really interesting things going on in this area mm. around Norfolk Street and around Villiers Street. There's space that's reasonably cheap that creative people can buy up where my husband has a recording studio because it's reasonably cheap 
cheap and you can do stuff to buildings. Well, I've just moved into a dingy little room that's got no window so I can get a nice recording studio in there. <laughs> and it feels like there is a bit of a groundswell of stuff around this area. You know, there's a long way to go into to make it like a creative quarter or whatever, but it does feel like it started. It's great to hear that you feel that there's this build-up in the city. There very much was the plan of Sunderland culture to change the attitude that people have to their city. I think there's something also around visibility in Sunderland. There is a lot of creative stuff that goes on. There's a lot of studios. There's a lot of recording studios. There's a lot of dance studios. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, but it's just not very visible because a lot of it's in old warehouses and old townhouses and, you know, you just can't see it which makes then people say there's not much in Sunderland mm. because it's not very visible. So I think some of the challenge that Sunderland culture has got is just sort of bringing that out and making it sort of coherent and an offer for people. So all of these amazing creative graduates who are coming out of the university say, like, oh, there's opportunities for us here or for people who are coming to art later in life to go, oh, there's actually, we can have a studio in Sunderland or there's a place we can record our music or whatever, whatever that is. But it's about making it coherent and visible to people. Talking about visibility, it would be great if places like the Winter Gardens, Glass Centre, if there were some way to utilise information boards, because like you said, we, we do have a lot going on. We've got studio space, we've got galleries, we've got workshops and recording studios and so forth. If there was a central point that you, you could go to, like, don't mean to keep throwing out the phrase, an art centre, where you'd have like an information point and be able to go, where are the dance studios? I didn't know there was a ceramic studio. I didn't know that there was a, a couple of ironmongers and, and so forth. I found stuff casters. Out. Who knew? Well, exactly. I mean, the, the stuff NBC Ceramics yeah. do with the, um, the iron mongering yeah iron mongering iron mongering yes who knew portable iron mongering it's They're unbelievable everywhere. so to have somewhere there is there anything in the pipeline either at the glass center or at the, the museum where we can have a big information board and also have someone that then gathers information and keeps that information up to date <laughs> about facilities and events mm. and so forth I think that might be me. Yeah. Um, you so can have to stick a broom actually, up your backside, though. You do so many things. <laughs> I thought you were being insulting there, you but know, I think you were No, no. Nice. You need another you. We need two Lauras. Clone me. Clone you. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we're just about to do, actually, at Sunderland Culture, is we're going to launch a bit of a questionnaire to creators in the city about exactly this. I personally feel... And I think some of the culture probably feel that there isn't that central information point that you go to to find out about artist opportunities, about spaces that are available, about commissions that have come up, both in Sunderland and the region. I think we've been a bit cautious about sort of reinventing a thing because there are lots of online groups and things that already exist. And I think we've been like a little bit cautious about creating a new one. But I think now after doing this for a year, it sort of doesn't exist. So there's actually an online survey that's going to go out in the next couple of weeks to people like yourselves, artists and creatives, going like, where are the gaps? Where do you go for these things? What do you feel are missing? And to create either an online version of a notice board or a notice board or both of those things, if that's what people feel are missing. But 
we totally acknowledge that that is a thing that centralizing person or force or whatever that thing is is kind of missing at the moment in sort of like scooping up all of those opportunities and making them more visible so we recognize that and i think that person is me so i'm on it (laughs) very good There are five wonderful people who donate generously every single month. One of them is here, Stephanie Smith. And in fact, Stephanie, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit because one of the things that you might get if you subscribe to a certain tier of Patreon support, Steph, T-shirt. So you have a car, and you have a car. Would you like to make a speech? Speech! Steph generously donates $6 a month to Artie Party because she believes in the importance of this as a platform for creatives in Sunderland to talk about their work and to find out about other people. And I am forever indebted to Steph and the support that she has given Artie Party. It's because of Steph and four other people like her that Artie Party can fund a podcast feed and reach new, growing audiences. It means you can listen to any of our content over the past few months at the touch of a screen at your fingertips. But Steph, of course, is not alone in this. We are also supported by the generous Patreon backing of Nikki Kaur, one of the founders of TriLife TV, Joe Howell, who's a photographic artist based in Sunderland, Laura Willis, who is an audio producer studying media production at the University of Sunderland, and Tell Irby, who is a DJ under the name DJ Awkward Black Girl and runs the Sister Shack collectives of all-female creatives and artists. If you'd like to join them, help support Artie Party, please do. You can head to patreon.com forward slash Artie Party. And for as little as a single dollar donation, you can help support us, reach more people, spread the word about projects and events by artists and creatives in the Northeast, and continue to grow as a platform for sharing important conversations like these. Now we return back to the recording at Mackie's Corner. Today, Laura Brewis, Sunderland Culture, Sarah Carr, the Sunderland Heritage Action Zone, and from a heritage research project at Newcastle University, this is Artie Party. I'd like to return to a point that we were talking about earlier, Sarah, when you addressed how spaces in Sunderland or in cities and towns across the UK need to realign themselves with how they bring people in Mm. because of the declining nature of the high street. So I'd love to open up a conversation perhaps about how we see the role of arts within spaces like this and within town centres and city centres. So I guess within the Heritage Action Zone, we've got quite a mix actually of uses. So we've got Pop Rex, we've got kind of music social enterprise, and then we've, we've had this space as a year-long opportunity really for artists. And then Elephant Tea Rooms, so that's within the Heritage Action Zone. So the ground floor of that will become the local studies library in November. November? Um, yeah. It's a, oh, I didn't know it was opening in November. Yeah. That's fantastic. So they're doing some kind of emergency kind of repair works to the roof, but then there'll be kind of some restoration works to reinstate the original shop fronts to that building next year. 
So kind of really mixed uses in terms of, so like it's a kind of a public space, but obviously kind of for the, the local studies collection there. And I hear a space to store the archive as well and the, the sound material that's been collected from. Yeah, so I think um, Living History North East mm-hmm. would move into that space as well. Yeah, yeah. Is that... There's also Breeze Creatives going into Yes, of the, course, in the, the Athenaeum. Athenaeum, yeah. So there's a real mix there, actually. And obviously this building will become more kind of kind of commercially focused. But within that mix, just those buildings that I've mentioned so far, there's kind of like a real kind of variety, really, of uses. Yeah, yeah and I think this is also really necessary, right? So you can't just use the arts and creative industries to program these buildings and then move on. Mm-hmm. How do we do this in an ethical way? I understand someone... High Street West is not necessarily gentrification about to happen, right? It's it's it definitely needs investment and it definitely needs stuff happening. But at the same time, I don't think that a meanwhile use is it can be a really good solution in some ways, but it is also important to think about what you use the artist or the heritage or the other users or, or temporary users for because it's it's kind of using them to like up the value of the land or to make the building more attractive. You know, if that is very clear to people and they're happy to be part of that, fine. But I think we we need a conversation about how we do this in a way that suits the city, that everyone feels comfortable with, that is not a sort of like using arts and then go to the next building and we can now do a commercial venture here. We were just having a little conversation and I muttered, it is potentially exploitative. Absolutely. That, that people should sometimes be paid for their time. No, people should always be paid for their time. <laughs> Artists are rarely paid for their time, yeah. to be fair. No, and it's important from all sides, right? So also for us, for example, as universities, when we apply for a project and we want to work with local artists or we want to work with local creative industries, that needs to be part of the, of, of the grant rewrite that we can pay for these kind of things. And it's part of what we need to do, but it's also part of what Arts Council or other funders need to do, like make sure that this, this happens. The heritage funding in the same way, there is a big move also in heritage funding towards like getting funding for activities and working with hard to reach audiences and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's all nice, but like that needs people who know what they're doing and we need to pay for those people and not just for a nice space that, you know, something can happen in. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Glover has a microphone at the moment. Yes, you mentioned that you are from Netherlands. Um, obviously, you haven't been in this country for that long. Can you maybe compare um, with Netherlands about about their culture and how they actually addressing those kind of issues to England? Or not necessarily compare, but perhaps give us <laughs> something from your cultural experience from your home? Uh. <laughs> In a way, I find it a difficult question because I'm much more involved, to be honest, here in this than I was in the Netherlands. But I think, and this goes back to like just the infrastructure of a welfare state is still much stronger in the Netherlands. So that makes some of that stuff more normal. And austerity and breaking down the welfare state in this country has been radical and really difficult. And it means that a lot of the work that in the Netherlands is being done by, and it's very normal to be done by a local authority or a local organization, is done by local people here, which means, you know, you have a really strong community part of it. And it's really interesting in one way, but it's also very, very easily exploitative and problematic. So I find it really difficult because I can't really compare it also because like in the last five years, it has changed so much here. 
and I haven't seen the change in the Netherlands. So because I, I mean, I go back every now and then, but I'm not. It's not like I'm there, you know, to see the real change happening all the time. But yeah, I think it, it kind of goes to this basic level of like, how do you fund arts? How do you fund culture? How do you fund the welfare state? And and how do we respond to austerity and and cuts to this? I will also like to raise at this point, Laura, in your other role with We Make Culture, which is your own community interest company, that you are trying to make experiences, music and arts accessible for young people in Sunderland through your workshops and programmes. Yes. So one of the things that I do with We Make Culture is it's mainly around music. We run a young songwriters group and a young talent development program for young songwriters which is about opening up access to music for young people but I personally feel like being an artist is there's a danger of it becoming a middle-class profession like there is no access into that unless you've got I don't know a partner who can support you or parents who can support you or something like that and I think in somewhere like Sunderland it's really really important that there's support given to give people careers in the arts and access to those things. So through We Make Culture, we're about to embark on a talent development programme for young musicians, but also through Sunderland Culture, we've got a programme of internships, which is all around, you know, giving young people, but not always young people, like emerging artists, access to those creative industries positions that are paid because so much of the arts is built on free work, whether that's free internships or free work experience or whatever, however it's couched. It's often built on being able to support yourself while you work for free. And in both of those things that I do, I'm hopefully working against that and paying people for their, for their time to get some experience to get a foot in the door. Kelsey Lynn Mayo. Because there almost is an expectation as a young graduate that that is what you're going to have to do. What is it that we can actually do to counter that? Even in my studio, we just had an event and we had young artists there, but like we couldn't even fund them because we weren't even funding ourselves to have it. So what is it we as like starting this new, in the Northeast, starting this new culture, what can we do to stop this? Like, I know that's like a big question, but like what steps are being made? (laughs) I think it's incredibly hard, but also I think what is really important is practice what you preach and awareness. So I've seen too many events where we talk about the role of women in architecture or how there is a pay gap and we invite a speaker, but then we don't actually pay them properly. Or, you know, it's still, you know, even the events that are about this stuff very often then sort of like don't have the practices that come with what we are talking about. The awareness of that happening is important. So if you if you can't pay them because you're not even funded yourself and you don't have any money to do anything, be honest about what is going on and how you are doing this and talk to people about being aware of these situations. So as soon as you're in a situation where you can pay someone, you do. And as soon as you have a possibility of funding or getting someone to do it, you know, in a way that you would like to be treated yourself, I suppose, that's that's the most important part, I think. Slowly move into a position where you can pay. Already asking the question is, is an amazing start. Yeah, I mean, I think what you say is really hard. You know, when you are not paid yourself, either well enough or at all, to do the thing you do, then how can you pay someone else to do another thing? It's a cyclical thing that reinforces itself. But I think what you say is really true about awareness. So if you're in that position, you're not exploiting someone if then they do something for free. 
providing you're honest with them. But then if you have the ability to do it, then you need to pay them or recognise that. And I think we all have a responsibility to do that and for that to sort of filter down, I suppose. But it's a really, it's really hard. You know, we, we're in a chronically underfunded industry. So it's really, it's a really difficult one. There is a time and a moment for asking people to do stuff because like we are all paid in a paid job. Part of our job is to have exposure and to talk about the things we do and to talk to people about why we do it, which is a very different situation from when you have to be paid hour by hour for the work you produce. And you don't get paid if you take a holiday. You don't have sick leave. You don't have all these kind of things. It's a very different situation. So, yeah. Also, just to say, the person who just asked that question there is called Kelsey Lynn Mayo. Her studio over in Newcastle called Tuna Mayo Studio it was absolutely gorgeous. And that's something that Kelsey has been building up and building up. And finally, you've got your own space. So well done for that. Thank you. <laughs> we have two more questions, one from Posey Jowett and one from Mirthek Padovic. And then if anyone else has any more, then let's keep going. But Posey? really kind of in response to your question Kelsey is there's something isn't there to do with making the case for arts and culture and we know we're all chronically underfunded in this particular sector in the creative industries and there's very well-meaning people in the creative industries that of course would love to pay others for their work as is appropriate but it can't just stay within this industry can it in this sector and it has to be something about using spaces in the city centre say for example where you can demonstrate the effectiveness and the cost effectiveness of arts and culture in the city and the benefits of that kind of have to attribute a bit of financial value to it don't you if you want the money to be moving in in our sector in the way that we hope it can be absolutely i think there's something about advocating and making the case outward to government and councils and all of those things about why these things are valuable in a city why they have economic value you know like around bringing people into a city centre and people might go for a drink afterwards and, and you know like actually playing that game and ascribing economic value to bringing people into a city and what cultural activity can do for a city and I do think we've got to do that which we may think is sad but is also We've got to talk in those terms, I think, sometimes. Just given the microphone, Sharon Watson, an artist based in Sunderland, asks a question about arts, heritage and mental health to the panel at Mackey's Corner. Broadly, looking at heritage, if we can get the health back into the buildings, but also link into how arts can improve the health of everybody in the nation, to be involved in arts, whether it's participating and creating art or whether it's to just view art or to listen to art, enriches people's lives to such an extent. But we need those buildings as well. And I think a lot of the older buildings have been neglected and forgotten about. And if we can breathe life into them together, everybody is going to benefit. That's a great line, isn't it, for the Heritage Action Zone? Yeah, make it happen. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with everything you've said, actually. You know, that that's kind of part of what we're doing, really, is to bring those buildings back into use. And, yeah, we recognise that that has an impact on people's health and well-being. There's actually some research that's just been commissioned to look at that specifically, actually, and how people respond to their built environment, actually, and the changes that are happening around them. 
so hopefully changes that are going to happen over the next few years are going to be you know kind of really quite dramatic particularly around this kind of junction here I think you will kind of see real change I am so excited to see the elephant tea rooms being redeveloped as we've been talking about the the library space the local local studies studies library yeah Yeah. local studies library fabulous also there's another project that I know is emerging the the living arts hub which is a collective of people hoping to reform a space down the other end of Sunnyside oh that way down (laughs) the other end of Sunnyside into a, a living space as well as an art space which I know has been successful in many European countries um, as well as other cities. So that's around creating both affordable housing, so social housing, where artists specifically in this instance, but also people, can live but also practice their artistic work. So would have workspaces and stuff like that. The idea has been floated at the moment around the Nile Street area with Back on the Map and Create Streets. But it's a really, really interesting idea that also the council are really behind because it's around bringing people back into the city centre, which is a thing. I think there's some like mad statistic about only a thousand people live in the city centre or something like that, which obviously has a huge impact on why the streets are really quiet on a night and why people don't go out and have meals and things like that. So there's a big drive to get more people living back in the city centre, which will hopefully make it a more vibrant, safe interesting place to be past five o'clock when everyone goes home and there's that feeling that the city kind of just shuts down there is a real drive for that and I think that has to be a really good idea (laughs) to bring just bring people back and families and humans back into the city center to you know like animate the space (laughs) and be in the bars and be in the shops and all of that kind of stuff so there needs to be sort of reverse of that sort of tide that's recently happened. I was chatting with John Green, one of the, the, the managers at the Bridges recently, about how they've been redeveloping their space and using their shops not just as commercial units, but also mm. as Frederick Street Gallery, for instance, and also the quiet space that they have now and the ping pong room. There's all of these new ways that I think people are trying to take advantage of their existing spaces that aren't being utilised because of the lack of the demand for shopping in a location anymore. So there's, there's clearly a lot of strategy being put into the ways that buildings are being reused and redeveloped. Yeah, yeah I mean, the high streets change. We've just got to, we've got to kind of respond to that, really, when it's not kind of traditional uses of kind of retail. And Forza Street used to be residential before it was retail. You know, it was kind of houses with gardens in the kind of the 18th and 19th century. So it's kind of, I guess it's kind of going full circle, really, yeah. and kind of going back to that kind of, you know, trying to get people back into the centre again. Yeah. As a young person who absolutely loves the idea of bringing sort of people back into the city centre, it is extraordinarily expensive to live in a city centre. And for someone who wants to move out, who's someone who wants to sort of become more involved in the city, getting a good job in the city is, is extraordinarily hard. And I've got a bachelor's degree in psychology, in a science, you know, and I still can't find a decent job. Never mind to move out, never mind to live in a city. So, I mean, how do you propose sort of making living in a city more accessible? Well, I think that's one of the really, really interesting things about this living art hub that's been proposed, and um, because it is around social housing. So it's around, it's not about having to buy a house. It's not about having to get a loan to be a first-time buyer or anything like that. It's actually about proper social housing. That's been sort of 
phased out basically of all places. So there is a recognition that that needs to happen to keep young people in the city and to make city centres vibrant again. But I think like with all things, the tide turned away from that and now it's perhaps turning back, hopefully. And I think this proposed scheme is sort of one of a couple that are on the cards for the city centre. So hopefully, I don't have a housing brief, I don't know, but hopefully this is a thing that is starting to be recognised by, you know, councils and those people that have the influence to do that kind of stuff. That does sound really, really good. I mean, you know, because I don't want to move out into, you know, somewhere on the outside of Sunderland. I want to live somewhere where I can see people, where I can see the arts, where if it is being more involved in the city centre, I want to be here when it is here. And I think that's a weird sort of paradox which has existed over the last years, which is people saying that they're really invested in the city centre and they want it to be thriving, and they, but also pricing people out of the city centre at the same time. And I think there's a recognition of that and hopefully that yeah, yeah, that tide will start to turn because, yeah, without people being able to live here and exist here and participate in all of this stuff that is happening, hopefully starting to happen, it's a dead end, it's not going to work. Um, especially in somewhere like Sunderland, which has a lot of challenges. Let's all hope. Fingers <laughs> crossed. What I'd say. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting, Back on the Map is doing this, right? So they are a social housing. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, you know, we're getting together here on Arty Party to have conversations like this and ask these important questions that need to be addressed. And there's also groups like the Artists' Union that meet regularly mm-hmm. in yeah. the other Poprex building where it's about trying to change things like this. So I think these conversations need to keep happening. But I think there's definitely something around activism and being visible and saying these things out loud and being together to make these cases. Because without that, nobody's going to hear it. But also making these matches happen, right? Because then Back on the Map is sort of like interested to organise this and to do this. But they struggle to find the artists who are interested to be involved. Whereas there is for sure also loads of artists saying there is nowhere for me to live. So it's like where it's do like, they, where yeah, does this come together? Where is the space yeah. where this can? can... Is that you? <laughs> I think that's what you can. <laughs> I do actually have one more question. I'm only here because my parents are artists and happen to know people, and a lot of people I know who are young don't know about these things and don't know about this space and don't know about the art that's going on. Is there anything that can include a younger generation in terms of sort of making this sort of events and events like this more known? I think one million percent that is definitely needed. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do at Sunderland Culture is make that pathway from university to whatever comes next more visible and more obvious as to what the pathway is because we totally acknowledge that there are loads and loads of creative graduates that come out of this university and loads and loads of graduates that aren't creative but who want to stay in the city centre and make their living here who have to leave because they feel like there's more opportunities elsewhere And I think part of what we really, really need to do is make that more obvious and easier and more affordable and all of those things. So I think there is definitely recognition that we need to address that kind of, we need to lose less people, basically. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. 
but it starts younger already. So the work you are doing with We Make Culture with young musicians and the work Pop Rex is doing around 100%, this. Yeah. I think it's really important that these kind of spaces exist and that even when you're like 14, you feel like there is a space you can go and music or arts or any other creative way of, of approaching life, let's say, it's kind of helpful for people to engage in it. You know, if you have to go to Sunland Mind or to Washington Mind, it's kind of like a big step. But if you can go to Pop Rex and then you can get into touch with people who are also talking about mental health or it just makes a step easier. So I think it's really important that these things are connected up and we all work together, but we also recognize the work that is already happening yeah. because there is a lot and there are a lot of passion is being put into this. I think it'd also be helpful if these sort of events where maybe not beforehand, because I know it's very limited spacing, maybe like afterwards, explain that these talks are happening so that mm -hmm. like the young generation know that these sort of issues are being talked about. It's totally that visibility thing again, yeah. isn't it? It's where it's like, it, it's that kind of self-perpetuating thing that people don't see it, so they feel like it's not happening, yeah. which nece isn't necessarily right. Yeah. But if we don't talk about it and if we haven't got ways of promoting it and we haven't got ways of sort of celebrating it, it becomes invisible. Yeah. So I think it's all about sort of also raising the profile of that and being in the city centre in a space like Maggie's Corner is like a part of that. Yeah but there's loads more work to do. I'd love to ask a question directly of Sarah Carr in regards to the Heritage Action Zone and your role within revitalising the city and the spaces that are being made, you know, to, to make the city centre, as you're talking about, this space that is vibrant and mm. is bustling again. Yeah, I mean, it is, as I said, it's like a five-year project and I think it'll go beyond five years and not everything's going to be achieved within that kind of five-year period. But I think it's kind of the start. Certainly the area that we've identified is one that we want to really kind of regenerate with, you know, more people using it and, and there being quite evidence of kind of economic regeneration as well. But that's kind of not done just by us alone. It's kind of, it's a really big kind of partnership project. So, so we've got Sunland Culture, Sunland Heritage Forum... Church's Conservation Trust, who are redeveloping Holy Trinity Church. Tannery Building Preservation Trust. Historic England, obviously, who key funder. It's a project that is really kind of driven by a really strong partnership, actually. So without those partners, we wouldn't be able to kind of do everything that we want to achieve. But as I said, I think there'll be kind of lots to do beyond that five years. <laughs> I don't think the answer's going to come by August 2022. <laughs> It's another theme that, that <laughs> emerges as part of Arty Party often. It's, yeah. And it's, it's the same for big players as well as people. Collaborations and partnerships yeah, seem absolutely. to be the lifeblood of creative work. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, the Unlock Strand, I can't emphasise enough really how important that's been in just animating those spaces and just bringing people into those spaces as well, into kind of historic buildings that would have just been empty until work started in terms of restoration. So building awareness you know they're landmark buildings as well that people have like really personal connections to so just having that opportunity to come back into those buildings has been sometimes it's literally just walking through the yeah, doors yeah. you know some of the stuff around that we've seen in high street um, is literally about people coming through the door and telling them telling us what their nana used to do mm. in this space or what their great 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 granddad used to run a hat shop there or you know like literally all of the stories so there's something about 
literally just opening the door. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely very kind powerful, of triggered and kind it? of sparked yeah. by kind of stepping into a building, yeah. or kind of you know, and stepping in and seeing a person that they can then talk to and kind of share that story with. So yeah. it's quite it's simple, isn't it? It's not yeah. it's not necessarily really complicated. But well, that's um, a start, right? That's because start, that's only yeah, a start. Exactly. And I think it's also really interesting to see. So what we've been doing over the past week in in High Street West is opening the space up for people to come in and have these stories and and talk to us about it, but also have the Rebel Women exhibition. So people come in for different reasons. So, you know, the people that come in for Heritage Open Days, you can imagine they're a particular kind of audience, right? Because most of the Heritage Open Day stuff is like open during the day. During the day. And so it's a lot of retired people who are really super interested and have a lot of these stories, but you also want other people in. So with the Rebel Women exhibition, we also got a lot of young people in. We got a lot of people in just interested in the exhibition, but actually walking into the building. And then they're like, like oh, oh, this is actually, I've never been in here. This is quite interesting. Yeah, next door is the original bins. Oh, really? That's really interesting. You know, so you you, st- you you can start a conversation and they start to sort of like know a bit more about the buildings, be more interested. And then you can ask like, how would you like to engage with this? Are you interested in more? Or do you, is it just like whatever you want? Is this fine? Uh, do you want us to program this space? Or are you not really interested in stuff happening here? And it starts a conversation, which I think is an important one to have with people in the neighborhood, in the city, to sort of like come together and and make this stuff happen and know that there are places where you can make this stuff happen. So even if it was just for a week, it was very, I yeah. thought it was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> we are, of course, recording here in Mackie's Corner for this. The name of this event, A Legacy of Mackie's Corner, looking at what this space has accomplished and housed over the past year and how this might influence the future. So the one last question that I'm wanting to pose really to all three of you is, this is possibly the last time this building is going to be used in this forum is that right it is indeed the last time that i will be used in this <laughs> momentous occasion so do you have any last words for the place I was gonna say, it's not final goodbye for me because restoration work yeah, starts in the new it. year it's, only just yeah, it's an ending for what was happening in this space but it's also a beginning yeah and it's moving on and it's yeah you need to learn experience isn't it of like what works what doesn't work what you can try what spaces you need it would be much better if this had a toilet for example etc you know i've learned a lot from this space so it's like gathering the learning up i suppose that's happened having the legacy of all of those brilliant artists that have been through the place and the things that it's kicked off. And I was talking to Kath earlier, who was talking about the amount of exhibitions that this has kind of triggered for her, the amount of things in the city that this has sort of catalyzed, the Frederick Street Gallery and Norfolk Street Art and all kinds of really interesting things, which would probably have happened without this happening, but maybe wouldn't have happened as quickly, or maybe there wouldn't have been that momentum built up. It's kind of gathering all of that stuff up and about processes, which is quite boring, but about like how do we make it easier for artists to get into spaces like this in the future? You know, we've had really brilliant landlords in this particular instance which have, who have been like, just get on with what you want. And we should say thanks to Alex Kirtley, shouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, the Kirtley's been totally amazing in all of this and have just really let us get on and do what we wanted. But also, this is now an example, so we can go to other landlords like this and go... Oh, actually, we've done it here. There's been no trouble. It's been really successful. We've had people through the building. It's made people see what this space could be used for. It's used as an example and around catalyzing other people to do stuff. So it doesn't necessarily have to be any of us doing it, but it's about 
making stuff happen. Showing it's possible. Showing, showing it's possible. And it's been a way of putting Mackies back on the map. You yeah, know, and kind absolutely. Of, and just creating that buzz around the building again. This would have been a real hub in its heyday, and it's just been great to kind of see that yeah. again, actually. And I think lots of people will now be watching for what happens yeah. next, you know, about the restoration yeah, and absolutely. about, in a way that probably if that had just happened without a year of activity in the building, yeah. it might have gone unnoticed. So I think there's know. a real kind of sense of like, like expectation oh, and excitement, actually, about yeah. what's going to come next. next in this space? So that's, what? yeah, thank you. That's been, you know, that's kind of, that's part it's of your been contribution. Amazing. It would be really amazing if like this amazing landlord would be interested also in sort of like maybe putting on some art exhibition once it's finished so it doesn't stop here. I think that would be really nice to kind of like continue to support. I don't to want to speak for Alex, but I think she should be right up for that. Just right into this kind of thing. So. That would be great, yeah. <laughs> A legacy of Mackie's Corner. So thank you all so much for being here, but I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our three panellists on board Arty Party today. Thank you to Sarah Carr from Sunderland Heritage Action Zone. Thank you to Laura Brewers from Sunderland Culture and We Make Culture. And thank you to Dr. Louis Veldepaus from uh, the Newcastle University School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape. <laughs> Thanks to the Arts Council England and National Lottery Heritage Fund that provide us with support via the unlocked strand of Sunderland Culture's Great Place Scheme. Yeah.